Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 41 of X-Lapsed, where uh, we could probably cue that uh, Tiffany song, because I, I think we're alone now. Um, this is Fallen Angels Day, so uh, only you know, only a handful of people are uh, actually bothering to hit play today, because, uh, hey, it's Fallen Angels Day. I'm trying to think if there's uh, anything I want to say, since I can pretty much say anything today. Um... Uh, what can we talk about? What can we talk about? We could talk about, uh, I hear there's an election coming up, but uh, that actually might have less substance than the book we're about to discuss, so maybe maybe we just won't talk about that. Uh, uh, see any good movies lately? I, I usually don't see movies, but uh, but I did make an exception. I, I did watch uh, El Camino, uh, the Breaking Bad movie, because we finished that show up, and uh, I figured, hey, what the heck. And you know what? El Camino is very much like Fallen Angels in that... It only has, like, I don't know, half hour worth of story, but it's stretched out over, like, what, three and a half, four hours? Uh, it was decent enough. But uh, there are similarities there, right? What else can we talk about? <sighs> well, me and Chris Bailey had a uh, two-hour-long conversation with uh, uh, Brent Anderson today of uh, Astro City and Strikeforce Moratorium fame, which was uh, really, really fun, really great time. And that was uh, something we'll be sharing on this channel in the next few days, so look forward to that. That's going to be a, a good time here, but... Uh, huh. Alright, let's talk about Fallen Angels. Today, Fallen Angels, Volume 2, Number 5 of 6, thankfully. March 2020 cover date. Story's called Sensei, written by Brian Hill, with art by Simon Kudransky. Colors by Frank D'Armada, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Robinson White Sabolski, cover price $3.99, and this one went on sale January 15th, 2020. So, we open with a nine-panel grid, which we all know is the purest sign of comics writing genius. All one has to do is look at all the uh, 10 out of 10s Tom King keeps collecting by abusing the format to see that. Anywho, it's here that Cable and X-23 are rounding out their unnamed, unsanctioned Fallen Angels team with Husk and Bling. Or is it Bling? Because her name seems to include an exclamation point? I don't know. Question. How did Cable get back to Krakoa? Uh, last time we saw him, he was strapped to something by the Hefty Bag Phantom. <laughs> Maybe that's just a shoe that'll drop later. Not that I really care. Roll call. X-23, Bling, Husk, Cable, Psylocke, Mr. Sinister, and Magneto. Then two pages of people taking credit for producing this. From here, we join Psylocke as she's meditating in the vegetation. X-23 sidles over to her to inform her that they now have a more fleshed-out team. 
Quanan uses this as an opportunity to once again kvetch about how nobody cares about her on Krakoa. You see, she credits X-23's reputation on people actually agreeing to join them since, you know, she doesn't have one herself. I tell you what, I think she's wrong here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dispute this. Uh, she has a reputation, it's just not a good one. Because she's, you know, an absolute bore for starters and uh, wildly unpleasant uh, you know, for the rest. Now, the conversation shifts into I am 14 and this is deep territory with a discussion on whether or not they believe in God. I'll spare you the details. Suffice it to say, Quanan isn't, exactly, isn't sure exactly what this apoth they're dealing with actually is. All X-23 knows is that she didn't see the vision from last issue's cliffhanger scene. We follow Psylocke to Bar Sinister, where he checks in. Where she checks in on his progress, figuring out what that cyber doohickey the black-eyed kids are wearing is. I don't remember handing. I don't remember her handing one over, though. Uh, this series has a way of causing me to glaze over completely, so I very well might have missed it. Though again, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't, and this scene was just pulled out of a hat. Whatever the case, Sinister needs to try it out, and it looks like Quanan is going to be his willing guinea pig. He warns that it'll likely result in extreme pain. Luckily, Psylocke just finished listening to a My Chemical Romance album, so she's ready to go. Now, he pops the socket onto her dome, and we hop into digital flashback land, I think. She's in Dubai, and the Hefty Bag Phantom is there, and not a whole lot of this makes any sense. But at least it wasted a couple of pages. And I suppose it might tell our team where they need to go for the final boss fight. Gwanan comes out of it and is asked how she felt being disconnected and whole at the same time. Well, this isn't an altogether new sensation for her, because did you know that Betsy Braddock once occupied her body? Have we not mentioned that in the last three pages? You might have forgotten. We then flash back to a time where Quanan kills her sensei. We get plenty of worm and butterfly references here, which makes me think that this might have been a mercy killing just to get out of this book. Then two pages of poetic prose. Nope. Back to Krakoa. Betsy and Quanan practice their sword posing or whatever, in synchronized form. Quanan thinks to herself that she can't blame Betsy for everything that's happened and that she'll forgive her just as soon as she can no longer feel her. Because, uh, well, because did, did you know that Betsy once occupied her body? This is brand new information, so I wouldn't blame you if you didn't know. Elsewhere on Krakoa, Cable is putting their new recruits through their paces. Husk tears off her skin, revealing a bulletproof layer underneath, and Cable just blasts the bejesus out of her, but she's perfectly fine. Bling then sidles up to Cable and rips his gun in half. She's apparently made out of diamonds, which makes ripping things a lot easier, I guess. Fair enough. X-23 then challenges the newbies to try and land a punch on her, and naturally, they're unable to. Psylocke then approaches to suck any life that this scene might have had right off the page. She promises to protect, protect the four youngsters as, as they leave heaven and they fight through hell. I wonder why she didn't protect us from having to read this. Uh, they do the all-for-one, one-for-all bit, and we're off to the races. But first, Psylocke stops to chat up Magneto, who tells us about his time in the camps as a boy. He gives her his full blessing to go take out a path and to show the rest of the world that mutant kind is still watching over them. He then magnetically yoinks a jet out of the ground and sends the five some on their merry mutant way. We wrap up with them approaching Dubai, and Psylocke proclaims that Mother is here, which is cringy as hell. Maybe not quite as cringy as the cover to Cable and X-Force number 7, cover dated June 2013, which featured Cyclops and the word Daddy's Home in gigantic text. 
My wife actually uh, saw that cover. She took a look at it, and I'm pretty sure she lost whatever respect she might have had left from my comics habit. So, yeah, this is cringy, just not that cringy. That's where we leave it, and we have one issue of this to go. But next time, we'll be wrapping up the Dawn of X, Wave 1, number 5s, with X-Men. So, let's talk about this. I guess we're gearing up for our final battle with Apoth? This is just so poorly paced. Um, we spent four entire issues, which is like, generously speaking, 80 or so pages, having the same revelations over and over again. Also, faux-deep conversations and mostly meaningless flashbacks. Um, we really only needed the flashback where Quanan had a baby taken from her. The rest seemed to just be opportunities for Quanan to stake her claim on butterfly imagery, and I'm sure Mariah Carey is probably off weeping somewhere. Here, in our, thankfully, penultimate chapter, we get a new we get some new team members. And they get a whole, like what, three pages devoted to them? I mean, it's husk and bling, so we're not really dealing with heavy hitters here, but still. It's finally something new in this book, and at least, you know, at least give us a little bit of time with these kids to enjoy pages that don't have Psylocke on them. Uh, am I, I can't be alone in really disliking this character, right? I... I I don't dislike her in that she's a bad guy or anything. She's just so boring and one-note. Like, everything that really needs to be said about her could be fit into a single paragraph on an info page. How many times do we need to be reminded that Betsy occupied her her body for a time? How many times do we need to hear that she has no friends on Krakoa? How many times does she need to have the slightly different takes on the exact same conversations with her supporting casts? This is a character who doesn't have the presence to shoulder a backup story in a random issue of X-Men Unlimited, much less an entire miniseries. Or, God forbid, several miniseries if they decide to bring this one back down the line, because I'm not sure if folks are following along the post-X of Tens solicits, but it looks like they're trying their damnedest to bloat this line to the point where it's going to pop. They're adding titles left and right here. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we get another run with Fallen Angels. Um, Then again, I mean, they could all die next issue for all I know. Who knows? So basically, I just spent a whole lot of time saying that I don't have anything to say about this issue. Sorry about that. (laughs) But uh, I guess we could take solace in the fact that there's only one of these left to go. Um, I can't place the blame completely on the creative team because they don't have much to work with here. This Psylocke character sucks. This is not a fun character to follow. This is not a fun character to spend time with. This is just not a fun character. I, could, I would imagine it's not a fun character to write. Um, so I can't put the blame on the creative team here. It's just, this is what they're given to work with. It's, it's got to be, uh, be a tough task. I, I mean, I don't know how they stay awake to write it. But that's just me. I think that's all I have to say. <laughs> About Fallen Angels number five. Um, let's hop into the mailbag before we cut out of here today. This might be a really short episode. We're going to start with Damien. He's talking about Excalibur number five. He says, This was the last issue of Excalibur that I bought, and I remembered none of it. It is genuinely all over the place and makes no sense. And thank you, because me being me, and me being a guy who second-guesses every word I say... I was a little afraid that I might be the only one to think that this issue was was quite the mess that it was. So I'm really happy to hear that I'm not alone. I I thought that might have been a 
a, a wildly hot take that I had in that it just felt, I, I referred to it as a Dagwood sandwich. Just so many layers and, and none of them, you could taste none of them, you know? It was just uh, very much all over the place. Uh, Damien continues, On to your comments. It's weird how we see other countries. It's interesting that you knew about the IRA solely from Web of Spider-Man and Action Comics Weekly. I bought both those books when they came out, and I thought they were a little tin-eared. And I tell you what, I I just read that Action Comics Weekly uh, Nightwing and Speedy story last year for my Action Comics Daily project at the blog, and yeah, it is wildly tin-eared. I gotta say, I don't remember much about the Web of Spider-Man one. I'm... I'm not sure I even read it, but uh, I believe they delayed it a few times, resulting in some, like, really, really boring fill-ins, which, I mean, if you're familiar with Web of Spider-Man, that's basically what that book would become. Like, 90% of it was, it seemed to be fill-ins, that they didn't have a creative team for the longest time. It was just, it was like a, it was like a book in need of creators, you know? There was a book in need of stories instead of stories in need of books or something. It just... Wasn't great. Uh, Damien continues. As I look even more Irish than I am, I grew up with some odd experiences. As a teenager, I would be, quote, randomly searched for weapons whenever I went into London. And there was a very weird week when an ex-pupil of my school was killed trying to get up to set a bomb for the IRA, and we got chased at the school gates by reporters wanting to know if we were all being taught to be terrorists. Of course, later in life, I discovered my granddad had smuggled weapons for the IRA. Apparently, the fighters would give school children guns to take over the border in return for sweeties or candy, as the armies didn't search kids. Apparently, Granddad did it, as he had a very sweet tooth. He ended up dying of type 2 diabetes, so we can probably claim that he was a victim of the Irish War of Independence. And that is very dark, but, uh... Yeah. <laughs> that's that's very dark, but, uh... That's some black comedy right there. Um... Damien wraps up, uh, do you know when your Irish ancestors left Ireland? We discovered recently that all Irish censuses up to 1911 are available for free online, so it's really easy to investigate even with just a name. My mom was particularly happy to see my granddad listed as a scholar, which is the only occupation they can give you when you're five years old. Um, I don't know when my family left, actually. Uh, I'm guessing it had to have been five or six generations ago, um... I think even like my great greats were born here, so it's a uh, that that's something that's worth uh, worth checking into for sure to see exactly uh, which part I'm from and uh, if I should be if I should feel guilty about which part I'm from. I, I don't know which is which, so we'll uh, <laughs> leave it at that. But uh, thank you so much for uh, for your comments, Damien. That's a that's a heck of a story, um, and it is weird. I mean, that was a way of. Life, you know, for a lot of people, that was that was life, real life, and all I knew was uh, that it delayed a web of Spider-Man story. So, yeah, it's very, very strange. Uh, we will wrap up with a letter from Al Sedano, and he's talking about Powers of X number five. He says, "Another day, another episode down, and we're almost done with Hoxpox." It looks like this issue is here to fill us to fill a lot of behind-the-scenes info on how Xavier was able to get everything off the ground. And he talks about uh, the Forge scene here, because Professor X was asking, or he tasked Forge with creating the Cerebro Cradles and whatnot. And he says, uh, there are two ways to look at the Forge scene. Either it takes place during the time where he was an active member of the team, or it's after and he's desperate to rejoin. That's the only reason I can think of for why he's still wearing his X-Men uniform. 
I hope it's the first option because the second makes him seem a bit pathetic. Well, I hope it's the first as well. But uh, after seeing how chuckle-headed he acts in the pages of X-Force, who could say? <laughs> who knows? Um, Al continues, I think I'm a bit distrustful of Xavier too. As soon as I read that he had downloaded a previous version of himself, I wondered if it was so he could he would not be able to remember something he'd done. If he can't remember it, then there's no ch- then no chance of anyone else finding out. Maybe something to do with Mora. And yeah, Xavier's more than a little bit shifty in these Hoxpox issues here. Um, I still, even you know, five issues into each book here, I still feel a bit uncomfortable every time he's on panel. There really is this air of distrust around him, but uh, I'm guessing that's probably by design. Um, because, you know, I think we're supposed to be guessing, right? Um, back to Al, he says, Giving Shaw a seat was a bad idea. It's not that he's an evil mutant, but that he's an evil mutant who made Sentinels. And that's a really good point. Um, but, I mean, the, this whole the whole premise of Krakoa here is, is that Krakoa is for every mutant, right? So I'm guessing maybe they're using an extreme example in order to drive that point home that... All mutants will find a home, you know, on Krakoa, and uh, no matter what they did previously, this is like a—I don't know—maybe this is just like a penance to uh, to move forward and uh, and let go of the past, I guess. Or maybe they're just keeping him where they can keep an eye on him. It seems—it uh, seems like it seems like a mutual exploitative relationship between Shaw and. Uh, and the rest of the folks, you know, they they want him for a certain gig, and he's only playing along because he's got his own plans that he wants to enact. So that's, you know, that's that. Uh, Alf continues, not sure if Gorgon was in the Wolverine series, but I know him from the Secret Warrior series, which was also written by Hickman. Speaking of other Hickman series, do you think you'd be able to go back and read his Avengers slash New Avengers run now and have a better chance of enjoying it? Since you know that Marvel isn't going to do a new 52-style reboot. What we got out of Secret Wars seemed to be more of a zero-hour or infinite crisis minor reboot. And I tell you, if I had an extra few hours a day, I would love to sit down with both of the Hickman runs that I'd, you know, knee-jerk hated <laughs> as they were coming out. Uh, those, of course, being Fantastic Four and the Avengers. Because I was just so wrapped up in, in paranoia that... Everything that I'd invested in and loved and cared about was about to be flushed down the toilet Flashpoint style. I, I really just wish I had the time to read them so many years removed because uh, so I'm sure I would have a better appreciation for them. Um, you know, we know what came out the other end. You know, we know we know that it wasn't quite as bad as a as a New Fifty Two style reboot, and. Uh, and really, that was my that was my lone complaint. It just seemed like it almost seemed like those two runs were like low key trolling us. You know, it's like I feel like we kept hearing about things getting reborn and restarted and rebooted. And I mean, Marvel's creative team—they were smart to kind of foment that fear um, because it it kept it kept things you know in the headlines. It kept uh, kept you know the folks at CBR and Newsarama to. To keep asking those questions and keep them in the spotlight. So I was a bit worried um, seeing, you know, Franklin Richards before like a, a, a star plane, you know, talking about rebirths and stuff. And also that, that Avengers, new Avengers run. I mean, we had nearly a year's worth of banners on the top of those books counting down to the end. 
you know, and we had all those like side books, like like Silver Surfer and Magneto, and uh, oh boy, what were some of those other books that were in that uh, that realm there? I think those Ms. Marvel was there. It's like the last days of, and so we were. I I was fully, you know, I figured that we were, you know, we were starting over. That something big was going to happen, and we were going to start over. Um, gotta say, I wasn't totally keen on Secret Wars. I didn't like the gimmick. I didn't like canceling everything and just doing like weird miniseries for the better part of a uh, you know half year or so, or even longer. Um, wasn't you know didn't dig that so much. Uh, not sure that I'd read that again. But yeah, given the chance, I think I think sitting down with that Fantastic Four run and. Uh, uh, I know I, I enjoyed the new Avengers run. I liked that because it had Namor in it, and Namor was really badass in that run. Um, the regular Avengers run felt very, very repetitive to me. I felt like every single issue had a scene where Tony and, and Captain America were standing there saying, we need to be bigger. It's like, can we, can we just stop? Especially when bigger just meant, like, let's get some more you know generic antler-headed aliens to join the team. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. I'm sure I'm missing something. I <laughs> I didn't pay nearly as much attention as I should have. Um, Al wraps up with, I had heard about the origin that Claremont had for Mr. Sinister, too. He did a panel at Wizard World Philly over a decade ago. The kid's name was Nathan, and Sinister wasn't supposed to be his only creation. Gambit was supposed to be the, his version of a cool guy. I wonder if that would have been better than all the Thieves Guild stuff we had, we got to deal with over the years. And I do remember that. I remember hearing that Gambit was like the other character that Kid Sinister dreamt up. And uh, I thought, uh, you know, that that's... I mean, those X-Mysteries and the aborted plotlines threads on Usenet would just get my wheels spinning into overdrive. I loved those stories. I loved hearing about the what-could-have-beens. And, uh, and I mean, you think about it. And you think about, you know, what what has Gambit done since he first appeared here? I think I think I prefer Gambit the way he is rather than a, the manifestation from, you know, some kid's mind. But, I mean, you can't deny that Gambit, his creation, his, uh, his look, his swagger, his, uh, his whole character feels very much like a boilerplate cool guy, you know, uh, motif, right? It's, he is... The grim, gritty '90s comic character, you know, for a lot of people. So, if that was to be revealed that he was just a manifestation of what a kid thought was cool, it'd make total sense. Um, but I, I like Gambit the way he is here. Um, though your point is well taken about the slog that is the Thieves Guild. Ugh. I mean, you you want to get me to check out on a book? Put Belladonna in it. <laughs> Put Belladonna in it. Have Belladonna join the the Shi'ar Imperial Guard or something, and the, and I, I will run away from comics just as quick as possible. But I think that is where we'll leave it today. Thank you so much for writing in, Al. And uh, you've only got what two issues to go before you're done with Hawksbox. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing your uh, your final thoughts on the big event. So definitely looking forward to that. Now, if anybody would like to reach out, uh, you can do so at Ace Comics on Twitter and WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find show notes and stuff at Chris's on Infinite Earth.com. 
There's also xlapsed.com, chrisoninfiniteearth.com, 90sxmen on Facebook, and the audio archives are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Just one more big gushy thank you to everyone for listening and for reaching out and for keeping me sane, even in the insane world of fallen angels. <laughs> I very much appreciate it. Uh, next time out, it's going to be X-Men number five, which uh, it has a, it has a return of one of our Hoxpox artists in R.B. Silva. So looking forward to seeing that. Um, I'm guessing he will be much better suited than uh, Mr. Lionel Francis Yu for that book. So we'll see. We'll see how, how it goes here. And uh, until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.